Hi, everyone. Back for another episode of Mind Rolling. I'm Raghu Marcus, and I'm here with Dr. Jeffrey Long. And a welcome to the show, Dr. Long. Jeffrey. A pleasure to be here. Uh, good to have you. Um, and Jeff has written this incredibly interesting book, which um, I was just saying to him that uh, both Ramdas and I have been interested in this subject. It's called God and the Afterlife, the groundbreaking new evidence for God and near-death experience called NDEs, which has been getting a lot of play through various books uh, of of late. And uh, Jeff, you wrote a book that was a best-selling uh, New York Times book, and that's kind of my first uh, question on this. That book um, is called Evidence of the Afterlife. So t- tell me how that came about and what that contains uh, uh, in relation to this new book. Yeah, good question. Um, backing up a little bit, Evidence of the Afterlife came as a result of researching uh, well over a thousand near-death experiences that had been shared with my research website, uh, nderf.org, which is the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. That was set up, gosh, about 17 years ago. Mm. The main purpose of that website was to ask people that had near-death experiences to share their experience and have a very detailed questionnaire now with over 140 questions. So. Uh, from the very beginning, we started learning a lot about near-death experiences, and, and over time, it got to the point where I said, "There's we have such a large amount of evidence about near-death experiences from the vast number of people that have shared, and the in-depth understanding of their near-death experiences from the questionnaire that I've asked, we need to pu- really publish this and make a book out of it. So, I crunched the the data and out came Evidence of the Afterlife, my first book, and you're right, a New York Times bestseller. In that book, there were nine lines of evidence that all converged on a conclusion that near-death experiences are, for lack of a better word, absolutely real, Uh, that they're inexplicable by physical brain function as is understood. And that sort of set the groundwork, if you will, for the next book, God in the Afterlife, God in the afterlife really doesn't make any sense unless you really understand and accept that near-death experiences are not uh, biological misfirings of the brain, uh, errant chemistry uh, gone awry in the brain, but is really a true spiritual experience. And I think evidence of the afterlife really established that. In fact, believe me, I've debated a lot of skeptics over the years. (laughs) I've never lost. So it's really stood the test of time as being uh, a succinct statement of the best lines of evidence that near-death experiences are real. But if you accept that and you look at lots of near-death experiences, and I've now looked at over 4,000, then the question becomes, okay, what's really important about near-death experiences? What stands out as being uh, their deeper, if you will, spiritual messages? And over and over, I kept being aware of near-death experiences that had encountered God. That's their word they used, G-O-D, God. Sometimes they would write it out as G-D, mm. but that's God. So I found 277 sequentially shared near-death experiences that described an awareness or encounter of God. I was astounded that there were so many, and when I looked at it in great depth, then my book came out to help characterize a little bit about what is this God that people encounter in near-death experiences, and, and what are some of the other 
if you will, spiritual messages that are contained within near-death experiences. Now, most of these people are obviously Westerners, and mm -hmm. uh, they would come from the Judeo-Christian tradition, correct, for the most yeah, part? Yeah, we can tell what countries access our website, and the great majority come from Judeo-Christian Western countries. Having said all that, I'm actively investigating near-death experiences from non-Western countries, and we now have about 50 of them. I've written a recent, co-authored a recent scholarly article with an investigator in Iran who found uh, over 20 near-death experiences there. So while the Judeo-Western near-death experience is my you know, major data, and that's what I wrote predominantly on, there certainly we're finding some real parallels even in the non-Western near-death experience. Yeah, what I would expect. So uh, just, and uh, there's something I want to get into that relates to that particular question, but how did you even get interested? I know you're, you, you've been a medical doctor and uh, I, I, you're a, a radiologist, a radio, a, a radiation oncologist, basically, right? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. That's the medical specialty of radiation used to treat cancer. Cancer. Uh, I, and I have an exceptionally busy, very full-time practice. I was in at work uh, most of this day previously, actually. But, uh, and this is a Sunday, but really? the point being, um, many, many years ago, I was in my residency training to be a radiation oncologist, was going through one of the most prestigious medical journals in the world at that time. It's called the Journal of the American Medical Association. And just looking, flipping through it, looking for my cancer-related article, totally by accident, I encountered the term near-death experience in an article. Well, I was immediately fascinated. I mean, you're either dead or you're not dead, or what's this near-death? And, and nothing in my medical training had, had led me to accept that there was any possibility of a conscious experience when you're dead. And yet there, vividly in black and white in this article, was a discussion about how this investigator of near-death experiences uh, had studied large numbers of near-death experiences. They were very clearly documented as, as clinically dead. It was a cardiologist, heart doctor, if you will, that wrote this article. Uh, and I was immediately amazed. I, I couldn't con even conceive of how this could be possible that people are, uh, their heart stops beating, they should be in a coma, they should be beyond unconscious. Mm. So I stopped, read some of the references in the article, and was immediately fascinated. I mean, how can anyone not be fascinated by the question of what happens when we die? So I was, and that got in the back of my mind and sort of stayed there. And a few years later, when I was out of residency and had a very rare block of days off, I put up the website with the burning question in my mind, are near-death experiences for real? And I thought the best way to, and most reliable way to, to get the answer to that important question to me was to set up the website have people that had near-death experiences from all over the world share them, and then from that original source of data, I could get the best evidence that would lead me to the best conclusion, are near-death experiences real? And I can t assure you very quickly, and certainly more so over the years, the answer is a resounding yes. Near-death experiences absolutely are for real. Now, just in terms of your own involvement as a human and your relation to spiritual experiences prior to this, was there a demarcation line? Like, oh. obviously, this, this, these are powerful. I mean, we have to read a couple of these people's uh, stories or, or comments in this book. They're just, they're mind-blowing. I mean, and, and... And they totally are. I would have to say, when I started out my research, I really didn't have a strong 
uh, spiritual sense or presence or, or even for that matter, interest. I mean, I would attend church regularly, but it was as much as anything a social outlet. And, and that was really all that, you know, the most of what it mattered to me. But I, I would very clearly not define myself as spiritual at that time. As time has gone on, I've changed radically. Some of the best teachers in my life are not those uh, prestigious professors and doctors that taught me over the years. My best teachers have actually turned out to be those that had the courage to share their near-death experience with me. And over the years now, as I've said, up to over 4,000 have shared with me, and that has profoundly affected me. One cannot hardly uh, avoid being changed when week after week you hear about their profound messages of peace, love, of an afterlife, uh, and that has certainly affected me, not only personally, where now I am very clearly spiritual, define myself as spiritual, but it's helped make me a better doctor. Mm. Cancer is a scary word, and I treat mm. patients with cancer. And so as a result of that, with my spiritual understandings, I can face the, help them with their journey through the diagnosis and battle with cancer with far more courage than I ever could before. It has certainly helped me to be a bit more compassionate, better loving doctor, and more courageous in helping people with their battle with cancer. Mm. <laughs> that's, boy, that's something that should be passed on to many doctors. Oh, yeah. Believe me. Jeez. I understand that. <laughs> um, so I'd like to just, uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to read a little something. Uh, it's one of the first... Uh, uh, comments by somebody who had an NDE, yeah, and, and it, it kind of just it encapsulates what your personal experience is a little bit. Uh, so someone had uh, uh, a near-death experience, um, just happened out of uh, Vietnam War. The interesting thing is, a lot of these people had these experiences many, many, many years ago, right? And they Absolutely. stuck with them. And I want to emphasize right off the bat that the remembrance of near-death experiences is radically different from remembrances of earthly everyday events. Uh, it's been discovered both in retrospective and prospective studies, including two good prospective studies, that near-death experiences are remembered essentially verbatim years to even over a decade later, and that's very well documented in these studies. Mm. And subjectively, you hear near-death experiencers often make comments such as, I don't remember what I had for lunch a week ago, but that experience that I had 20 years ago is as vivid in my mind today as if it had happened yesterday. So it seems to be a very different type of memory, imprinted, if you will, uh, far more vividly than virtually any other life experience mm. around the time. Yeah. I, I can relate to that, just having some very definitive experiences with a... Um, a realized being in India many, 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 many years ago with Ramdas. That many people who listen to Mind Roll, Rolling know the know the story, and those those are indelible. I mean, I may not be able to, as you say, remember what I had for lunch yesterday, but that I that's just written in stone within within me. Um, but I, you know, even before we, uh, I actually would love to again read some of these things, but. I think it'd be good if you suggested the different qualities that that uh, uh, once you went through uh, and and gathered all of this uh, all of this information, gathered all of people's stories, and you picked out a, a number of 
different common themes in all of them. Maybe it'd be good if you told us what those were. Yeah, you mean the the elements that occur during a near-death experience? Yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. I want to emphasize no two near-death experiences are identical. They're always going to be a little bit different in some way. But if you study large numbers of experiencers, both me and other researchers, find a very consistent pattern of elements that typically occurs in a remarkably consistent order. A detailed near-death experience and yet typical one would go like this. First of all, there's that life-threatening event. They are so physically compromised that they're unconscious and they even be clinically dead with an absent heartbeat. At this time, when no memory should be possible, they have the memory. One of the common first thing that happens is called an out-of-body experience. Consciousness separates from the body, typically going above the body, typically laying on the floor or on a hospital bed. From that vantage point, they can often see an ongoing earthly events including efforts at their others trying to frantically resuscitate them and bring them back to life. Mm -hmm. Following that, they may go into or through a tunnel. At the end of the tunnel, there's often a beautiful, mystical, described as an unearthly, often typically white light. Then when they go through that realm, uh, they're in a very unearthly realm that's been called heavenly, for lack of a better word, uh, and it's very aptly described as being something beyond earth in so many ways. There may be landscapes, there may be flowers, flowers that are so beautiful and have colors that they have no correlate with that color on earth. There's beauty beyond anything on earth. There may be music present that again is far beyond anything possible on earth in terms of its beauty. There could be buildings, cities, there may be other beings that they interact with at that time. Around this time, they're feeling typically very intense emotions. Uh, the two most common words used to describe a near-death experience is peace and love. In this un seemingly unearthly realm, while that sounds uh, very different, even alien to those of us in our earthly life, amazingly, the great majority of near-death experiencers in that unearthly realm have a sense that that is their real home. Mm. That's where they came from, that's where they're going, and they have a profound sense of connection. And relation at this time often they have a sense of unity or connection with everyone and everything very commonly described they may encounter deceased loved ones uh, even if there was a, a little bit of resentment in their earthly life these are essentially always joyous reunions if their deceased loved ones had died of a disfiguring or elder or elderly at the time they're essentially always picture perfect health and yes Deceased pets are also encountered in this realm. Again, picture-perfect health, uh, beautiful uh, reunions described. Around this time, there may be what's called a life review. They may see part or even all of their prior life, often flashing very quickly is what's described. Then near the end of the experience, there may be what's called a boundary. Uh, if they're walking along a path, often with other beings, there may be a bridge, creek, or something that separates their path. And around this time, it's a moment of decision. They may either be sent back to their earthly body involuntarily, or they may make a fascinating decision involving some dialogue. Interestingly, even though their earthly life was all that they knew for the years to decades of their life, they feel so much a part of this unearthly or heavenly realm, the great majority, if given a choice, at least initially, don't want to leave. They want to stay there. So after some dialogue, uh, they ultimately do make the decision to return to their earthly life. And jumping ahead to the obvious question, a couple of the most common things that lead them to want to go back to their earthly life is 
lessons, lessons in the very broadest sense, that lessons that are unique with, with our earthly life environment. And these lessons most often involve love. And relationships are emphasized around this dialogue and decision-making time, especially family relationships or relationships with children. Mm. So that's, if you will, a very detailed and yet typical near-death experience. Uh, mm. All those elements are so common. Uh, we've got hundreds and hundreds of examples of each and every one. Now, a lot of this, I mean, people, everybody out there, I urge you to read this book because, again, some of these descriptions of near-death experiences are just extraordinary and can go a long way to assuading, uh, if the right word is, to just making one feel a lot less uncomfortable, uh, uncomfortable about the transition that we all are inevitably going to take. Especially this, uh, you, the you read about people going. No, nah, I don't. I don't want to go back. This is this is just this is home. Why should I go? You know that kind of thing is certainly a prompt to people that uh, to to just relieve some of the scariness of losing your body, your identity, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Huh? Absolutely. I, in fact, when I tell my patients and family of patients that have cancer or, or those that have passed away. I can assure them, based on strong evidence, that the deceased is in a much better place than you, I, and any of us living here on Earth. What um, uh, this just thought just popped up in my mind. What I mean, we have because of our uh, relationship with Eastern teachings, uh, have a uh, and I've the way that you've had these stories that have made you completely. This is inner experience, not a thought process that this could be real. I have the same thing with uh, my experience of uh, the concept of reincarnation that comes from the East. What is your experience there or your thoughts there? Uh, you know, being raised in a typical uh, you know, Christian environment here in the United States, I did not believe in reincarnation and thought no such thing was possible. In fact, when I started my research, I thought it was ridiculous. That changed hmm. a lot because over and over we had near-death experiences, as you'll recall. We talked about how the life review where they saw their prior earthly life. Well, we now have scores of experiences where that at the time of the life review, they are very aware that they had lives prior to their current earthly life and they may see them, they may relive them. It's exactly like the life review of their most recent earthly life. Um, often they'll describe many, many prior lives uh, as if they're actually living them. And it's fascinating as I read these accounts, these, they aren't like Cleopatra or yeah. some famous person. They're describing very mundane, often very difficult uh, earthly lives of centuries or even over a millennia ago, which folks, that was what our ancestors lived in. Life was short brutal and rough throughout most of human history, and that's exactly what they describe. It, it's, believe me, these are, are no romanticized uh, prior lives that they describe. Mm. Interestingly, they may have been male or female at different lives, but they always seem to be like have a sense of self. This is who they were. This is how they are. Uh, and of course, they don't remember their, their prior past lives during their earthly life, but they do carry forward that, that seeming sense of self as they go along. So mm. Based on some very powerful evidence, uh, in fact, I even had one dramatic near-death experience where they described uh, that they were in World War II and were defending an area in Poland, and there was enough specific information I was able to verify the specific location of where this appeared to have occurred at. 
uh, based on some very strong evidence, I now am a firm believer that reincarnation is real. And as I tell my uh, people around me that, that may have a harder time believing reincarnation like I once did, I, I put it to them this way. If you really, really believe that we are in an infinite universe, then to say something cannot exist in that infinite universe, you're really skating on thin ice right off the bat. And reincarnation is now... Uh, based on near-death experience evidence, I, I am here to say that appears to be real, uh, very dramatic, and seems to be an important part of who we are and what we are, part of our earthly journey. Very well said. I love that. And uh, and what you said about the people's identification with a quote-unquote self, yeah. of course, that is uh, much the practice that many of us do on a on a day-to-day basis to get closer to that true self and identify with it rather than uh, the roles that we we all identify with so easily so um, and which brings me to there there's one um, in in one of these uh, qualities that you talk about encountering a mystical or brilliant light but this, let me just read this one thing I from uh, this particular person. Um, I realized that the quote-unquote I am was who I was and always had been and always would be. What bliss! I had a choice to rest in this truth and stay on the other side, or I could continue to play the quote-unquote game of being an imaginary person. <laughs> That's so great. As I realized this, I mentally turned around and saw a light that was brighter than a million suns but did not hurt my eyes. That light radiated all-encompassing and unconditional love and felt sentient. It has a present presence like it was God. Um, so uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this. There's a... Uh, a high being, realized being in India, named uh, Ramana Maharshi, who's a pretty famous uh, teacher. And uh, there are many people in the West who followed him. Uh, there were some people from England who met him in the 40s and so on. Uh, and his principal teaching was, was, was two things. One was self-inquiry. Who am I? You keep asking yourself, who am I? And and the answer is I am that I am. And this person wow, is saying the exact crazy. thing of what it is. You know what he did? He, when he was sixteen years old, he thought I just there has to be a reason for this existence, and I I'm going to find it out, and I'm not going I am not going to get up until I do. He lay down, and he kept asking himself, who this inquiry. Who am I? Who am I? Over and over and all night long until he realized the I am that this person is talking about. And then went on from that, that 16 years old, mind you. Okay. And then he went on and, and, and of course that all blossomed and he became who, who he is and how he's known today. I mean, to me, that's just mind blowing actually. Yeah, that, that's remarkable. That's really interesting. Um, Wow, that's interesting, the very concept of I am. I can pretty much assure you that person in the near-death experience had no exposure, significant exposure to 
uh, Eastern religions or philosophy. Yeah, I, I would imagine, which would, makes it just uh, extraordinary. Um, see, you talk about the realism with people with with which people describe their experiences, um, and and the most common elements that we just went through. Um, I, I, you know, this thing about they see in here, the, the earthly events and the out-of-body state is, is very realistic. And um, and when the NDers and others later seek to verify was observed or heard, the out-of-body observation almost always confirmed as accurate. Talk about that a little bit, because that, that validates in a way that, you know, uh, and I want you to talk about the skeptics who come at you. I, I have to believe this is very much a part of your response. Yeah, absolutely. One of the strongest lines of evidence is what is seen or heard in what's often the first element of a near-death experience called the out-of-body experience. You'll recall that that's when consciousness separates from the physical body, typically going above it, and they can see and hear earthly events. That happens about 45% of the time that they see earthly events. So my research question, it was very simple. Are what they are seeing real? Or if this is a hallucinatory experience, then surely there would be significant components of what they're seeing that's not real. And so I looked, read these uh, hundreds of the near-death experiences, looking for those out those out-of-body experiences. And I asked myself, is there any reason to believe at all that what they saw or heard was false? And if even there was one uh, inaccuracy in what they saw or heard at all, even if everything else seemed to be reliable or accurate, it went into the false category. So that's how you have to do this kind of research. You have to have some fairly stringent criteria to do that. And to my astonishment, well over 98% of the time, what they saw uh, appeared to be realistic, uh, no unreality at all, not only by my assessment, but also the assessment of those that had the near-death experience. Very often they would go back to the area where they had that say, accident or loss of consciousness, and look around and see if what they saw was real. And over and over again, we have them seeing, uh, confirming what they saw high up on buildings. Um, we've had you know, one very famous near-death experiencer uh, saw a shoe outside on a ledge on a hospital, later confirmed. Uh, just very recently had an out-of-body experience, and interestingly, this was a non-Western one, where they were uh, aware of a paper that they hadn't been able to find for years that they'd been looking for to help get it getting some kind of teaching certificate. And boom, there it was, uh, dusty, high up in the shelf of a drawer. Another good example is that uh, those that have near-death experiences that see and hear things far from their physical body and far from any possible sensory awareness. For example, we have a near-death experiencer who coded in the operating room during an operative procedure. Their consciousness left the operating room and actually went down to the hospital cafeteria where they saw and heard his family talking among themselves, not aware that he was in that life-threatening crisis up in the operating room because, of course, it was all just happening. Went back and, of course, late, ver later verified absolutely everything was spot on that they heard. And there's absolutely, of course, no physical brain function whatsoever that can possibly explain that. The only explanation for these hundreds and hundreds of observations like that are exactly what the near-death experiencers believed happened. Their consciousness left their physical body, went somewhere else. They were able to see and hear things, and uh, when they recovered from that close brush with death, verify that it really happened. I make an interesting point in my book. 
to see how remarkable that is, go sit on some city corner with some other person, close your eyes, and just try to listen as carefully as you can. And then five minutes later, try to guess what happened during that five minutes period and verify it with the person with you. You'll probably be way off. People went by, cars went by, things happened you had no awareness of. Yet these are people in near-death experiences, unconscious or clinically dead, vastly more accurate in what they're seeing and observing around them than if they were just literally laying there with their eyes closed. And that is, even after we're studying thousands of near-death experiences, astounds me. Yeah, that's mind-blowing. So what are these skeptics? They're coming at you? Uh, yep. <laughs> they are? Oh, yeah. Through uh, the website? Okay. Yeah, let's talk about skeptics. Um, over the years, that since near-death experiences were first described, actually the first described in 1975 by Dr. Raymond Moody, hmm. but over the years, skeptics have proposed over 20 different so-called skeptical explanations of near-death experience. Now, you're probably wondering, well, why so many? Why are there so many and seemingly a new one every year or two? And the answer to that is very simple. There's no skeptical explanation of near-death experience, no physical, psychological brain chemistry, brain electrical, there's no skeptical explanation that makes sense even to the skeptics as a group themselves. I mean, think about that. If any one or several explanations seem to explain all the phenomenon we're describing, you wouldn't need over 20 of these explanations floating around, and yet they're there. So even the skeptics themselves can't figure out uh, as a group what really makes sense in, in explaining a near-death experience from a skeptical perspective. And you know, as we go on here, you'll see it's impossible for physical brain function to to uh, explain essentially anything that we're talking about here today. Brain function can't uh, allow one to have a lucid conscious experience while you're clinically dead or especially under general anesthesia. You can't have physical brain function uh, allow consciousness to separate from the body and then make observations far outside of any physical sensory awareness. So. Uh, that's the all this plays into the nine lines of evidence in my first book, uh, absolutely beyond anything that skeptics can do. And you can see why I've never lost a, a, a discussion with a skeptic. The evidence is just way too strong mm. for the reality of near-death experiences. Mm. God bless the skeptics, but there's a <laughs> there's one of those in every one of us. Well, yeah, I, I used to be a skeptic too. That passed years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the mountain of evidence was, uh, you know, I, and I mean, that's one reason when I started doing this research, I guess you could have called me a skeptic. I said, I, you know, I, I need to see this from the strongest evidence possible. And uh, gosh, that passed away. There just comes a point when you get a mountain of evidence that you just have to simply uh, let go of old wrong opinions and embrace the new correct opinions that NDE, and we'll use that abbreviation, NDE is a, uh, in a word real. Hey, it's pretty interesting that this came into you as a doctor in your life and turned your life around like this? Very much so. That's yeah, in, in the East would be called pretty interesting karma for this to happen. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I was not, the, and I'll be blunt, I was not the most pleasant person 30 years ago. Uh, that's different today. Uh, in fact, we have a, our patient satisfaction surveys are done by a national organization that does it nationwide we just went through our 10th straight quarter at the 99th percent, and mm -hmm. that's ranking us against other radiation therapy centers. So I feel like there's sort of a ripple effect. If I can be that kind of caring, loving, compassionate person, not only to my patients, but to the staff, to the other people around me, it's like it's a ripple effect. And I think that's a, 
a very important reason that we have consistently ranked uh, unbelievably high in patient satisfaction. Mm. Amazing turn of events for you. Uh, So in the book, there's a, you know, one section in search of God, um, which God is an interesting word all by itself and how we have so many different interpretations of what that may be to each individual. And again, when I, you know, hark back to the, to the East, of course, there's the Hindu concept has God in it, has a deity, has many deities. And the Buddhist concept says uh, that is erroneous. There is a true self, uh, the Buddha within us, that is is their interpretation of it. And by the way, we do these retreats with Ramdas, who I mentioned to you earlier, uh, in uh, Maui, where he is now. And every retreat we have represented what we represent, which is the Hindu side of things, because that's the... the being Neem Karoli Baba that we met was that. And then there's the Buddhist side. So we have our Buddhist friends come and we have this constant dialogue around many of the things that are in this book that these NDE people are describing from the self-identity, the I, the uh, the compassion, the love, and, and so on. That's what we discuss from these two angles. But it's interesting, and I just want to read one thing um, from this uh, particular person, Mary Jo, I believe her name is. God took over my reins in the sense that, quote-unquote, I no longer existed. Only he existed. I felt overwhelming bliss, love, and compassion. The true home and the true self of all things were miraculously revealed to me. Ever since then, I know that God is. is. It's no longer a matter of faith or belief for me, but one of knowing because I have seen him as he is. And he is loving, compassionate, and forgiving, which I had not expected. It's like he picked me up in the palm of his hand, and I'll always be thankful to him for that. In fact, tears of gratitude still come to my eyes 30 years later. So the true home and the true self, she's, in one sentence she's saying it covers everything. It covers people who believe in a personal God and people who believe the uh, un- unmanifest, right? Uh, yeah, fascinating you picked Mary Jo there. Uh, she sat beside me sharing her near-death experience when we launched my first book, and she was sitting there on the NBC Today show with about five million people watching mm. as she shared some of those very words about her amazing near-death experience. Um, it, it, just absolutely amazing. And, and it, over and over, it, uh, that's what I encounter. Mary Jo very succinctly describes a very powerful and consistent theme that runs through my investigation of God and near-death experiences. Now, um, you know, to me, to have that kind of uh, aspects of God that that you don't normally uh, grasp in a Judeo-Christian background, that God is, you know, you know, you like with everybody. You know, the those of us that the the spiritual, the atheists, the skeptics, uh, God loves everybody for who they are and all that they are, and and knows them as who they really are. And so that's really an amazing thing that uh, uh, 
as it goes on here, you know, it's interesting. The book practically writes itself when we have such powerful statements yeah. like that. Mary Joe. I mean, you just it just nails what's uh, the the conclusions from so many other people that were aware of or encountered God. Yeah. And just, you know, for me, there was so many lines of connection between these stories and this particular one where she talks about the true home. Yeah. Whenever anybody asked me, what, what was my experience of being with this incredible being that just radiated unconditional love? I mean, I had never been loved like this before, not, not even by my mother. I mean, so unconditionally. And, and I say to you know what I say? The first yeah, yeah. M- remembrance that I have of that moment, the only word that I could say says it all is home. I felt yeah. like I was home. You know, so I read wow. these things, and and I I totally, totally, uh, completely understand, you know, and it's uh, it val it certainly validates you know much of my own experience, and I have not had an NDA to this date. Wow, yeah, well that's you an know, NDE. Sorry, yeah, <laughs> non disclosure. I mean, yeah, we've heard from uh, Hindus and Buddhists and and people from non-Western cultures, and it, it's somewhat striking how what's common in near-death experiences resonates with and is consistent with their beliefs. Um, mm. You know, And it was kind of funny to talk about God from the perspective of Hindus, multiple deities, and, you know, sort of the, the Buddhist, you know, the it's yourself, it's a self that's sort of self-containing God. It's kind of funny because the God in near-death experiences is every bit of that. Uh, seems to encompass uh, virtually all religions, uh, and, and yet even goes beyond. Uh, you know, certainly, mm. the, over and over, near-death experiencers say we are connected, a part of, and unified with God, as as Buddhists would say, even if they don't use that term. You know, Hindu, there's, there's many of us. So, as the Hindus would would say, you know, there's as many deities, you know, as there are, if you will, grains of sand. I mean, we're all part of that bigger to- total thing that entity called God. And so it's kind of funny. I think a lot of the, the seeming uh, separations uh, in, in religions around the world, a lot of seeming inconsistencies, or um, I guess a good word would be sort of, you know, seeming uh, differences of opinion may not be quite so different, may not be so inconsistent if you look at God from a near-death experience perspective, which seems to be sort of a unifying concept that I've noted that crosses religions and philosophy remarkably yeah um how could it be other how could it be other there can't be there is only one unifying uh principle whatever intelligence whatever you want to call it it cannot be other and we just have so many different ways of expressing that that is the beauty of 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 being a human i mean i think that that's and and these ndes certainly ex explicate that you know wonderfully uh which brings up one other uh something else um that you you write here the sentiment that god may choose different appearances in near-death experiences was repeated by another nde or who shared i believe that a person's experience is unique to their mindset and belief system i didn't need to see god or jesus or a human figure because I have always understood there could be a God that was a being, but not necessarily human, which is one way to say this. And, and I expect that since we, we all come with a customized 
uh, relationship with our environment, our society, our culture, how we were brought up, our influences, and so on, we certainly see things. And I would imagine that somebody having an NDE experience of that which is uh, ineffable and not many people in these stories say, here's here's a word, even love, it doesn't explain what love really is not explaining what I experienced. And so everyone certainly is having uh, it's m- the manifestation of what they feel, see, and hear. First of all, it's very difficult for them to explain it properly. And second of all, it is very much a part of, of their conditioning and so on. You want yeah, to talk and that's, you, yeah, you raise an extremely good point. Near-death experiences are so often described as ineffable. That means you can't put them in, in human words. Uh, I recall one near-death experiencer that encountered God, who's uh, when we started writing about it and sharing in, on the website on the questionnaire, said, "God is a human word. What I encountered far transcends anything that has anything to do with human words. I mean, they literally don't have a good word for what they described. God seems to be the closest word in the English language, or at least is widely accepted in the." Judeo-Christian culture at this point in time, but I'm very clear from reading these descriptions that we just don't simply have the words in the English language that describe the overwhelming, uh, the intensity of love, of connection, of unity, uh, of, of power, of knowledge, all of that wrapped up into what uh, they so consistently describe when they encounter God. Uh, and, that, and that's always fascinated me. I, I thought I understood the concept of God, but not after doing this research. Mm. I realized what a limiting, limiting word that is. Uh, and, and one of these people says, these incredible emotions were centered in the solar plexus, the most incredible mixture of peace, joy, love, acceptance, so strong I still cry thinking about it. That overwhelming melting pot of pure positive emotion, love, joy, acceptance, kindness, gentleness. This could be the Dalai Lama writing this, okay? Yeah, that, that's incredible. And here are people literally from every walks of life that have had a near-death experience. Uh, it's such a pr- pr- profound and powerful spiritual experience. Uh, you, you really go understand as you, you read what they share that uh, you know, they're they're literally teaching all of us about some spiritual concepts based on their personal experience. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to be, you know, study for decades or, or, you know, or sit up on top of a cliff and grow in wisdom. You know, once you have an experience and like this and the courage to share, um, near-death experiencers have literally been the teachers of people throughout the world by sharing near-death experiences. Mm. There's one uh, interesting part here that somebody, uh, I'll just, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but uh, they got a certain message, which I think is something for all of us to consider. What you put into the universe, you get back. Be very careful about the words, thoughts, and actions that you put out into the universe, because they will come back to you at some point in your life. And you go on to say, uh, this gives rise to the intriguing idea that although God might not serve as our judge, nonetheless, there might be a mechanism whereby judgment is built into the universe's fabric. And I made a little side note. I would say that's a perfect uh, 
definition of karma that this 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 person's experience what you put into the universe you get back i mean that is that is such a definitive heavy spiritual message of of the actions that we take have reactions and and even all the way to, i mean this made me think i was just walk i think i was driving around and and somebody you know pissed me off driving doing something weird you know and i had that immediate immediate knee jerk reaction that people do in their cars for some reason it's a it's a wonderful place to to be able to be the not you yeah. <laughs> who you normally might be or the bad you that you normally are anyhow and i thought well, i'm I, I had just read this and i'm like okay this is putting out a, a something that is not appropriate and it's it's not only is it not appropriate because it hurts whoever it is that you're sending it to, it's not appropriate because it's going to end up hurting you. So that it's a really conceptually around the Eastern concept of of karma, I think. Yeah, no, I I couldn't agree more. I that's um, we could have rewritten that uh, my comments using the term karma, and it would have been exactly the same concept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no. We can go on here, Jeff, forever. You know, we're we're, we're getting close to, to the end. But uh, there's, uh, I still got uh, something that uh, there's something I I just uh, I just loved. You know, I, I, I would everybody out there, you just read some of these uh, stories from these people with uh, near death experiences. You you almost like you can read them in a way that. You want to get your day started right, you know, like you might think, like you know, in our tradition, uh, one of the spiritual practices that one can do is just, you know, reading something from a sacred book or something from a spiritual biography where somebody is, is, is able to relate something on a level that goes beyond uh, duality and takes you into a place that might set off the rest of your day in a proper way. This these stories yeah. do that big time, big time. Oh, I, I totally agree. I mean, you can you can just see even in the uh, the discussion that we've had, you know, some of the profound wisdom, some of the amazing affirmations that uh, near death experiencers say. You, it's very easy to understand how that could change anyone's life. You can certainly understand how it's changed my life. And when you hear these from near-death experiencers day in and day out, week after week, month and year in and year out, you know how how can one not be changed by by hearing so uh, consistently that profound message of peace, love, and hope, uh, a message that's profoundly important for for not just me, you, but every single viewer watching this in the whole world. Yeah. Um, there's uh, here's another line of uh, connection for me. From a story, uh, there's somebody. Uh, I knew that the being I met was composed of a substance I can only call "quote unquote" love. Again, you know, it just isn't enough. We don't have the words, and that substance was a force or power like electricity. Love is the only word I have, but it's not the right word here. Um. And back again, I'm going back to my experience uh, with Ramdas back in the day that we were in India decades ago with this particular being who said, love is more powerful than electricity. 
when I read this line, I remembered that. And I go, oh, I mean, it just all comes from the same place, you know. It's just, and somebody else wrote, in that state of total recall, I became one with all of life, part of a collective consciousness, and I knew everything. That That's a mind blower. It was not an intellectual knowledge, like knowledge you acquire from studying facts. I knew because I had experienced being everything. This, to me, Jeff, is wow. is exactly a statement of a that could describe a realized being who lives in a body who's not in any outer, bo- you know, otherly existence in terms of a an NDE or anything, but because they have realized what this exactly within themselves, they everything was possible to them. I mean, Neem Karoli Baba, you know, there, there's lots of miracles associated with him, amazing ones, and being able to be in two places at once, and, and on and on and on. And and this, this six lines from somebody who had an NDE experience explains it. I mean, it's incredible. That's cool. That, yeah, it, it's just amazing how that, how that, how that nails that. I mean, so many of those quotes in there just, just nailed some very, some of the most complex, uh, deep, profound, philosophical, religious, spiritual statements. Boom, there they are. Uh, you can just see how important it was to write that book to me. I mean, my gosh, I, uh, that was fun. Uh, and, and life changed me too. So oh, I can only yeah. imagine. And is this ongoing? Uh, is, are you still collecting stories? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Every, we do every week. We review the the experiences for the week, uh, and sometimes more often, you know, throughout the week. So we're still gathering the evidence. I can assure you that every single line of evidence that I have in my first book and these profound uh, affirmations and spiritual concepts in this book, I'm now more confident than ever. Uh, that we closed accrual for that book, uh, the God in the Afterlife, about a year and a half ago. And now we just have a mountain of evidence, again, all more strongly than ever, uh, pointing to the, the realities and the conclusions in that book. Hmm. Uh, it is truly rare that there's any significantly dissenting spiritual concept in near-death experiences. Uh, it, 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 a basic scientific principle is that what is real is consistently observed. And the consistency of these spiritual messages in near-death experiences that we've been talking about uh, has been and continues to be throughout my research absolutely consistent, uh, be speaking the very reality not only of near-death experiences as as a valid experience, but also a very valid spiritual experience, rich in spiritual messages that we can all learn from. Yeah, yeah, no, it's fantastic, and good for you for doing this. This is just, uh, you know, I'm happy to you know to share this too on 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 the network. The network's called Be Here Now Network, by the way, Jeff. So, <laughs> uh, okay. apropos, well, tell me, well, oh, but I want people to know if indeed they've had any type of near-death experience um, and they are interested in having it documented or even just going to the site, give us the URL. Yeah, it's N-D-E-R-F dot org, standing for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. Um, if you visit the website, you won't be alone. We have about 90,000 unique visitors every month from all wow. around. Um, the website is posted in 30 different languages, so virtually anybody on the planet is going to find a portion of the website in these remarkable near-death experiences in their native tongue. 
Uh, there is over 4,000 near-death experiences. Uh, and a good place to look, if you go under the experiences, look up the thing called the Exceptional Archives, if you just want to read a few and read a few of these exceptional near-death experiences. And we've had people literally just read a few of these experiences and find that it could be a life-changing event for them. They really understand uh, just how the, the message, it resonates with them, if you will. Mm. Uh, certainly those that have had near-death experiences, they realize very quickly they're not alone. There's vast numbers of other people that have had these remarkable experiences, learned from it, grown, and in turn shared with the world to help us all learn not only about near-death experience and consciousness and the mystery of who, literally of who we are, what we are in right. our earthly life, but sort of as part of that, that deeper spiritual understanding that is uh, a part of all of us. Yeah, that underlies everything. I mean, that's uh, why this book was so great for me, uh, the connectivity to my own experience without NDE uh, was phenomenal. Uh, as I, I pointed out a few of these, that's why I, I, I chose those, because they were personally extraordinarily connective for me. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting, because the near-death experience is a part of a spectrum of spiritual experiences. Clearly, you had a spiritual experience. Many other people didn't have a life-threatening event and yet had a profound experience like you, a profound a sense of love, uh, if you will, knowing, um, all the kind of things that it just sort of helps validate the whole spectrum of experiences, of exceptional spiritual experiences that affect all of us at various times during our life, helps validate them as real and important messages that we can learn from. Yeah. Fabulous book, God in the Afterlife, and uh, Jeffrey Long, Dr. Jeffrey Long, along with Paul, there you go, Paul Perry. There you go. Uh -huh. Wonderful. And... Uh, Please go pick that book up. Go to Amazon, pick it up, and use our portal, by the way. So we get, uh, we're a nice affiliate of Amazon's to help support the uh, Be Here Now network. So, again, thank you so much, Jeff. Uh, it's been fascinating and uh, wonderful. I'm, I really appreciate that yeah. we met up. Outstanding interview. Very uh, much appreciate this. And thank you very much for the opportunity to be here. Thanks, everybody. This is Mind Rolling, and we shall see you on the Be Here Now Network next week. Namaste.